Lesson number nine. It's only 13, so that means five, four more after today. I don't know. Are you teaching any other class? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, in the spring, uh, the plan is to do FOF, and then the other half of the year is to do um, the evangelism class. But uh, there's a couple other guys who also participate in that teaching, um, Mark, Mark Dew and Chris Prozo, and so I, I don't know what their schedule is, I don't know what the plan is there, but, um, and then the other thing about it is 8 o'clock, it's 8 o'clock in the morning class, and so, you know, it's a little more difficult to get to, I think. So, anyway, let me pray for us, and we'll start. Father God, thank you for this morning, thank you, Lord, for... Just your mercy on us. Uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to uh, suffer and die in our place, pay the penalty of our sin, that we might have eternal life with you. And uh, you have left behind, or Jesus has left behind, a church uh, where believers come and worship uh, you, to worship Jesus, to worship the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, help us to understand that as we study what the church is and what its function is. And so we just ask for your blessing on our time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, Michael, what are we here for? Uh, to know God more deeply, to have assurance of eternal life, and become equipped for the ministry. So, when we talk about the last part here, to become equipped for ministry, where do we carry out ministry? Everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, but specifically within the church, right? We'll talk about that today, right? Quiz, 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 quiz. GM number one, please. <coughs> the Bible describes the church as a place where Christians meet on Sundays. False. That is false. Although you could describe it as, you know, a place we meet on Sunday. Part of it. <laughs> right? but that's not really the whole point. No. So, uh, all right, Kathy. The Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ. True. That is true. Uh, Michael, number three, please. The head of the church is the Pope or the, or the president of the denomination Pops. Yeah, so in the Catholic Church, who do they say is the head of the church? Pope. They say the Pope is, right? When you open it up, show them that. Say, well, you know, it's, uh, you show them the verse that says that Christ is the head of the church. They'll say, well, yeah, but you know, the, the Pope is his representative on earth, right? He is the, there's a term they use, he is the vicar of Christ. And so it's interesting the term vicar has two meanings. One is in place of and the other was anti. Wow. Right? Yeah, so hmm. I didn't even know that. Yes, number four, Jim. It is necessary to include teaching, fellowship, prayer, and communion in the church. True. That is true. Number five, uh, Kathy. The responsibility of every believer in relation to the church is the unity of the members. Isn't that true? The responsibility of every member in relation to the church? Responsibility of every Yes. Well, I would say in, yeah, yeah, I mean, where would it be in relation to? In conjunction with, in, in serving the church or in the body of the Christ. What is, the, what is our responsibility as believers? Do you know what a schism is? Hi. Good morning. Do you there know, she is. Do you know what a Do you know what a schism is? Um. 
You yeah, heard of a schism? Yeah, you'll have to remind me. It's early. The split. split. Like a church split, you know? Yeah. So, and why do they split? Because they're not in unity. They're not in unity over some so issue, right? Yeah. yeah. More specifically, <laughs> when we talk about unity within the church, we're talking about unity within our understanding and application of God's word. So that, that's, that's, you know, kind of foremost. And then everything else will flow out of that. Right? If we all have the same understanding of God's word then and, and application, then there really, I mean, a schism shouldn't develop. And if there is one, it should be easily dealt with. Right? It's like, oh, well, people have a different idea of... Well, I think they picked the wrong color carpet. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this carpet's got to go. You know, it's, I'm leaving this church because I can't stand the carpet. Right? And that, that's things now. Well, the chairs ain't soft enough. So, yeah, well, uh, okay, well, you know, there's some issues there, you know. Yeah, that, that's a real one. That's a real one, though, so, you know, I mean, so, anyway. That's, uh, and then okay. the the church is a lot, and that truly happens. People split over the color. Right, right. Yeah, we'll talk about some some other splits that are that have happened. And, yeah. Sheila, since you didn't take this test. But. Oh, I may think I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I say that I was on a room, I didn't want got the cat out, but I don't think I got that off the way. There were only two ordinances given to the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. True. 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 <laughs> she got it. She said, <laughs> Yes. Ordinance. We'll talk about ordinances and sacraments. There's a difference. Right. We'll talk about those, okay? Jim. The Lord's Supper proclaims the Lord's death. That's true, yes. Kathy. Early church was overseen by elders, true. True, true. Even today's church, right? Early in today, right? So, no difference. Michael. Uh, the difference between deacons and elders is that deacons normally do the teaching while elders make the decisions for the church. False. False, right? What is the difference between elders and deacons? Just the opposite. Right. What? Well, the elders, they teach. The elders are... Wired to teach, yeah. right? That doesn't mean deacons can't teach. It just means that as a prerequisite to be an elder, they need to be able to teach God's word, right? Well, so they also like you're, we're under them, like a deacon. We're not under them. We work along, along beside the deacons, but the elders are the ones that we submit under. Correct. correct. Yeah, correct. I mean, and then there's also another. You talk about <laughs> submission, Ephesians five. I think it's 520, 521, where it says, submit to one another, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's this general submission that goes on, but a as the leaders of the church, we are, uh, we are to submit under, under the elders' rule. And, and so why is it, I mean, think about that for a minute. Uh, why is it important for then elders to meet a certain qualification? They must know scripture, and they truly can truly interpret scripture correctly so they can therefore lead the church correctly. Right. So, <clears throat> you know, here's, the, here's the ideal then is that Paul lays out the uh, requirements for elders, right? So then the elders lead the church, right? And so let's just think about the, the biblical model versus some of the models or some of the actual in practices you see in some churches, right? So, 
The biblical model is, here's the qualifications, and we'll go over this a little bit later, for elders. So elders need to be, you know, sober-minded. They need to be, you know, not, not uh, taking too much wine, not greedy for money or ill-gotten gain. That they need to be able to teach, that they, they, their households are under control, all these kinds of things, right? And um, there's a reason for that. Now, you look at the practice and you look at churches that hire, or not hire, that nominate or elevate people <coughs> to be elders who have none of those qualifications, then what happens to the church? It, it's, it, yeah, it falls into all kinds of problems. I mean, you, you don't pick a guy just because he's got a backhoe, you know, and he can dig for the church, and you know, we're building, so we need we need that. Or just because he donated a lot of money to the church, that doesn't qualify a person. The reason you pick elders that qualify is because these men are going to be leading God's people, and they need to have the spiritual background, the understanding of Scripture, in order to make good decisions on behalf of the church body to teach, to counsel, to lead, all these kinds of things. And so if we're picking people that don't meet those qualifications, then, you know, the church can become kind of rudderless. You know, if, if, you're, if they're not, if they, if those elders do not hold the sufficiency of scripture in all things as their primary, um, primary adherence or their primary adherence to scripture then you can have issues and so that's why it's so important that churches select elders who are qualified I mean because they're going to be making decisions on behalf of God's people and so if if you have elders that aren't qualified you just you're gonna have trouble oh lots and lots of places right uh, let's see I think we answered that right. Number 10. Where did I leave off? Sheila? Is it your turn? <coughs> the Bible specifically states that Christians should meet together on a regular basis. true. Yeah, and what's your what is your verse for that? <laughs> this is it. Hebrews 10 24. I draw a blood when you call me out like that. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know it? Anybody know it? I know part of it. What is the part you know? Go for it. That we all, that we need to come uh, assemble ourselves together and not forsaken, like, not forsaken the assembly of ourselves like some do. Right. That's Essentially a paraphrase, but yeah. So, <laughs> and let us, <laughs> so, and no, it's good. That's the new mic Bible. That's the mic Bible. <laughs> and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, how does this verse line up with what happened during COVID? It all depends on what church you go to. Right? How about a lot of churches? What did they do? They, they shut down. down. They shut down. Right? What does this say? It says not to do that. Right? It says not to do that. Right? But they did that. And so, have you, any of you seen that uh, documentary called The Essential Church? Uh, yeah. It's yeah, good. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah. So, they said that that ended the church that they battled through what biblical versus... You know, 
Right. Yeah, and there's a fine line there, right? People left there really shocked me. Yeah. Now that part I did hear about like some leaving from there. I went else to step down because he, he wanted them to be unified. And so he said, I, I, I'm not there yet. So I will step down and I can vote in the unified body. Because he couldn't get past the, the fear of COVID if it was so. There was um, other aspects to it besides yeah. just COVID. Because we had clearly demonstrated that COVID was not what it was. But early on, nobody knew that. That's what, right. Right? That's what the Yes, early on. So, yeah. you know, I was there at that church. The and so, you knew when it was going on. Yeah, I was there when it was going on. And so what happened was, you know, state said no churches meeting, all this kind of stuff. COVID, COVID, COVID. Everybody's going to die if you get together. So <clears throat> it started a little bit. And then data started coming out. So this is Who came out? data, the information. Oh, data. Data. No, information came out about the actual, you know, threat of the virus, you know, it's a 0.01% fatality for people who get it. And those people who get it and are in, you know, that potentially could die from it are people who are already in, um, say, a weakened state of immunity. You know. So I think once the truth came out about it, he said, okay, well, we know now that the, the, whole, the whole thing is a lie. And so people started coming back to the church. It wasn't a church-wide notification. It said, everybody come in. <coughs> people just started. And my wife and I were at home, you know, for that first, for the month. And we were watching, you know, live streaming. So Pastor John's up there in the pulpit and he's live streaming. No one's in the audience, you know, and the church holds 3,000. Um, and then all of a sudden we hear a baby crying on the TV. While we're watching, and we say, how can there be a baby in there if no one's supposed to be there? <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't long after we found out. Yeah, that's why he said that he, they started doing that live stream and everybody just started coming back on their own. Yeah. One that's of the sweetest parts to me was when uh, they were talking about, you know, police officers were coming out the street before mm. it was officially open. They, they knew that, that they might not necessarily be believers, but they knew there was something of truth being taught there. Yeah. And it showed police officers sitting among the congregation just wanting to be fed. Yeah. Because they were probably scared and under all this pressure. But that was so sweet how they just sit right. quietly and, and worship. Yeah. yeah. So, this is it. We did, don't, 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 uh, don't neglect the uh, assembling together because that's where we we feed each other. And that, that goes back to the elder thing, too, because one of the things I appreciate about Grace is we came after the COVID stuff with like you, right? We were in there. We were in California. Yeah. And, that, and our church opened up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but um, the elders here ordered people back to church mm. at one point. This but, church right here? Yep. They yeah. said you will come back to church yeah. live. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it wasn't right away, of course, right. it was later. But I thought that, that, that was a gutsy move on the elders because they said, we're responsible for your spiritual health. You need right. to be here unless there's an extenuating, you know, you know, serious health issues or whatever. But you need to be here. Yeah. And they were willing to take that chance and they knew that somebody could get sick. Yeah. Your spiritual health is more important. That's right. My understanding is somebody left. But what good is it? I mean, think about it. What good is it to be home and sick and dying when you could be in the church being fed and sick and dying? Which yes. would you rather have, right? <laughs> Feed me, right? So spiritual. It was just a fear issue was the main thing. People just didn't know. People were just yeah. fearful. A yeah. lot of people were trying to be disobedient. They were just right. truly scared. 
then the Bible does tell you to, you know, to come the authority of your, you know, your, of your, the mm -hmm. people confused about that. Okay, what is the balance? You know, what's the line? Yeah. So I mean, a lot, of, I mean, a lot of people just didn't know, I don't think. I know. True. But then in, in Timothy, I forget the verse, that 2.5 or something, it says that he has, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. Yeah. Right. right. And so let's not fear about things. Who's in control of all this? And it's, it's only submission if you do something you don't want to do. If you're doing everything you want to do, that's not really submission. Yeah. Exactly. Submission comes when you... When they yeah, that's like, woohoo! <laughs> right? right? When they tell you to come back, woohoo! Yeah. That's like, yeah. You guys scream all day long. I'm total uh, okay, submission. Fine. You should broccoli. No. <laughs> yeah, right? That's <laughs> That's a good point. So, what we'll cover today, the church universal, the local church, fellowship, worship, and application. So, the church universal, what are the biblical guidelines for selecting a church? Let's talk about this. And, what is the purpose of the church? So, what are, what are the biblical guidelines? What do you think? I mean, you felt, what, how did you find this church, Jim? Um, well, looked on the website. <laughs> That's a big one. That helped there, right? So... Yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna be able to answer the questions as we go through. But that this wouldn't that wouldn't decide it for us. We looked at a number of churches out in this area, yeah. Crossway, and there was one I think in Sevierville or somewhere that had master's grads or, yes. or related. Um, but that wouldn't have settled it for us. We'd have to show up and see if the elders were really leading. And you know, when we took the membership class, you know, we didn't. I didn't. I told them I wasn't going to jump into membership. I want to know the elders before I submit. Right. <laughs> yeah. You really, the guy you say you are. Yeah. You know, and I found them to be, and so it was probably six months before we get to yeah, yeah. more before we became yeah became members. So. This is a good point too. I mean, because you could go on the website, the Masters uh, Masters Seminary Church Finder yeah. website, and you can look for and. Um, I think they've done the vetting already and check because not every graduate always stays true to the word. Sometimes they go off, you know. Stephen Furtick. <laughs> well, yeah. Francis Chan. Yeah, well. <laughs> They're master service yeah, so, But anyway, so you still have to do some due diligence, you know. But I don't know that that I mean, well, I don't know about Furtick. I don't think he came. I don't know if he went to masters. Did he go to masters? Mm -hmm. Oh wow. But anyway, I don't think they would be listed on the. On the uh, church finder website, <clears throat> just simply because they no longer hold to the same doctrine. Um, okay, so then, what is the difference between the universal church and the local church? We'll look at that. The universal church then is a body of believers referred to as the body of Christ, right? That's worldwide. And then the local church, but we are a smaller group of believers that come together to worship, fellowship to exercise their spiritual gifts in serving one another, receive teaching from the Bible, and evangelize a local area. That's what a local church does. But since we live in Mopala, would this be considered our local church? Yeah. It's okay. still, still a local... No, you know. no that's... Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. No, it's still local in terms of its proximity. Or, so the local church is... Uh, it's, it is area... Uh, and it's also, um, it's also, I don't want to say size per se, but it's like, you know, what is the, what is the size of the universal church? It could be millions and millions. I don't know, but, or, you know, I mean, could be billions, although that's a pretty high number, but, um, the local church is, is just a body of believers that come together somewhere. So you guys are pretty far away, but you come here, this would be your local church. 
until such time as there's a local church more local. Yeah, or, or a local church that's close to your locale. So what about, like, you know, they're talking about La Follette or Big Grace. Mm-hmm. You never be able to drive two hours to go to that church and pass <clears throat> lots of other good churches on right. the way. So what is the responsibility then of the believer? Is that just, you know, my personal choices? I want to go listen to John MacArthur. I don't want to listen to that guy. Yeah, there's a, there's a my brother's going through that because they've moved. And he, he travels a lot, so he listens to lots of different preachers, you know, all the great ones. Mm. And any church they go to is never, like, what they're he wants. Right? It's not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's, a, that's a great question, <clears throat> is how much, how much preference is in there versus how, how much does the church actually measure up in terms of biblical, um, you know, biblical teaching on what a church should be like. You know, it's great to have a great pastor, you know, that teaches the word well. But not every pastor is equally gifted or uh, maybe as eloquent a speaker or as knowledgeable. But does that diminish somehow the the experience for people who go to church? I don't think so. So, I mean, there's there's some preference that's allowed. The thing is this, though, is if you are two hours away from your church, it makes it really difficult to be involved there during the week. And it's only a Sunday thing, usually. So that, I think that that's a little bit um, one of those. That could be a limiting factor. And maybe people would say, I need to find a church that is closer where I can serve. Serving is not just on Sunday. Serving can be ministries that take place during the week we uh, bible studies that go on children's ministries on wednesdays uh women's like the women's uh bible studies that take place on different days and men's get to and so if you're two hours away it makes it kind of difficult to fellowship and then how is it that a person is going to be using their spiritual gifts i mean let's let's think about this is that on sunday at church there's lots of ministries going on um but there could also be a whole lot of people that are serving in those ministries. And so how can a person actually get plugged in to serve on a regular basis? And they could do that and use their gifts for the time they're there. But there's always that other application time during, during the week where people can come and <clears throat> use their, their gifts to, uh, to minister to others in the, in the church. And it's just hard to do that if you're two hours away. It's always greater, you know, best to find a, a church that's local, that meets all of those, uh, all the criteria that we'll talk about, and um, um, and you can serve in. So, great teaching is only one aspect of a church. So, and that was always the thought, you know, years ago at Big Race was, what's going to happen to the church when John's not there anymore? Is a bunch of people going to leave. Or whatever. Well, we, we used to see when John was out that there was a noticeable reduction in the amount of people in the sanctuary for the services. Um, so that was that was kind of a concern, you know, just to me way back then. I thought that's not right. You know, I mean, just because John's not here doesn't mean the church doesn't go on. Is it, you know, we had gifted men filling in at that pulpit who just did a great job. And sometimes I kind of look forward to that, just 
just to hear another another preacher. You know, John is great, and but you know that variety when they come in, they. sensitive movement mm -hmm. right and so what was the goal of that it wasn't a it wasn't necessarily to spread the gospel it was to just get people in the churches and so they put all kinds of gimmicky things in there and so now their music worship is is a is a, a rock concert with well, lasers know, and smoke and So this is very, very critical, is if a church sings songs that are doctrinally sound, then the people are also doctrinally sound. Right. You know, it is, and, you know, the, so many modern Christian, you know, you call them Christian songs, now, not hymns, but they're Christian songs. You know, you, if you played it on a non-Christian radio station, you wouldn't know that it's supposed to be a Christian song. Except right. for the bad music mixing and editing. Yeah. Yeah, other than that, right? So, yeah, we'll talk about that. What's interesting about those books, we should be seekers and we should be wanting the people. But, you know, where I taught, we had a church that met on Sundays. They were at the church, which happens in a lot of places. And there were three schools right in a row. And the churches, they all had a church. And they all looked the same. They had similar logos, the right colors, and similar messages and programs. And it was they're virtually the same church. Um, but the one in the high school that I taught, um, they had a little pamphlet they hand out when people, newcomers come. And, and it said, our music's loud, get over it. This is the message. So it, it, it starts It starts to be not senior sensitive about this typical bureaucracy. This is what we do. Right. Right? So, you know. Yeah, that's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Church has a by. The church is not a physical building, but a group of believers, not a denomination, sect, or association, but a spiritual body. The church is not an organization, but a communion, a fellowship that includes all believers. All right, that's John MacArthur's statement on there. Okay, so who is the head of the church? Christ. Christ is the head of the church, right? Uh, Colossians 1.18. Could you read that for us, uh, Jim? And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So, not the Pope, but he, Christ, is the head of the church. You can always show that to your Catholic friends and ask them to explain that. And then, uh, I think 523 is, is uh, just a repeat of that, but for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So Christ is the one who saved the entire church body through his sacrifice. 
And what price was that that he paid? He purchased it with his blood, right? Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. Notice the statement here, shepherd the church of God, right? So, and, which he purchased with his own blood. So is that, is, that, um, is, a, is that correct to say the church of God? When Jesus Christ is the head of the church, whose church is it, we usually say? Well, it's, it's Jesus Christ, right? But when you say the church of God, is Jesus God? Yes. Yeah, so that is a correct statement, isn't it? You can say the church of God. All right, so the body's made up of believers, right? Sheila, can you read that? Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God grow in your heart to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. Do you remember another verse that talks about being called? That Romans 9, 8, 8.29, is it those he predestined? He also, before new, yeah, he called. So these believers then, are called into one body. And then we are baptized. Michael, can you read that one? Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit we all are, we, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Yeah, into one spirit, right? What spirit is that? The one, whole, the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. So, drinking one, all believers, and uh, not only become full members of Christ's body, which is the church, but the Holy Spirit has been placed into each believer at the time of salvation. And so we were baptized. That was, I think, that was one of our questions a while ago. Is it about? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can you be baptized by the Holy Spirit more than once? Because in the name of claimant, they was I was sitting there and I was baptized by the Spirit and made me speak these words, which you need to run from that church. Because there's one baptism by the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit is not giving him words. Right? Revelation has ceased. Everything we need is in the Bible, right? Oops, what did I do? Okay, so then, each believer has a unique function, right? Can somebody turn into the, your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, and read that? I think Chris will be there next year, but we'll, this is a, pre, a preview. Go ahead, Jim, can you read that? Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the part of the body. If the if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? The whole hear, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? 
And now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And all, if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Wow. That is a long passage, but it does talk about individuals and their individual spiritual giftedness and how each person has a giftedness that is part of the whole and for a person not to be using their spiritual giftedness is kind of robbing the body of that benefit right and i think this is great there's a you know you talk about athletes sometimes and they say oh man that guy has great eye hand coordination right i mean they just like catch the ball through whatever they have this you know, innate ability to do things because they are their their members work so well together, and that's to me that's this great illustration is that within the body we have to have that same kind of eye hand coordination, and one person can't say, well, I'm more important because I'm the eye, or the hand is so more important because without the both of them working together, then you're lacking, you're just not as at as as efficient. And I think we talk about spiritual gifts in the next. Session. So, we're all children of God, right? First, First John 1 John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So being, being, uh, being then children of God, we are brothers and sisters to one another, right? 1 Corinthians 7.15, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, this is talking really about divorce, but it says that the one who is being left, let him leave the brother or sister. This is Paul referring then to, you know, the, the person whose spouse has left and he's calling that person a brother or sister, meaning we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And God's our father, Christ is our brother, Hebrews, right? For, so Hebrews 2.11, for both he who satisfies and those who are, I'm sorry, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Right? And then uh, Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. So what is this saying about our relationship to Jesus? He's our brother, right? Did you ever call Jesus your brother? He's our brother. I think one of those praise songs called him the boyfriend. Yeah. Jim, I think you're listening to that the radio station too much. That kind of just scared me. You don't play with God's name. I just about the man upstairs and stuff like that. To me, that's just disrespectful. 
that just makes makes him cringe. Like they're, they're like they're lighting in his name. It's like he's just right. you can call him whatever you want to call him. That's just you know this is so true because you think about people have this image of Jesus as this little baby in a manger. Jesus, right? Well, Jesus is not returning as a little baby in a manger. He's returning to destroy all the unbelievers on the earth. So, um, yeah, to, to disrespect his name and to diminish his, who he is. I mean, that's just modern day blasphemy, isn't it? So, yeah. So, local church, the New, the New Testament describes how believers came together in small groups to worship Christ, receive instruction from the scriptures, meet one another's needs, pray, and to evangelize. So then the local church illustrated, right here. Where did believers meet before they had a church building? They, they met in houses, right? Big Grace started in a house in Van Nuys in, in the late 1950s. Just a regular, you know, house there, a bungalow building. They tore down a middle wall to make it big enough to get everybody in there. There was about 10 families. From there it grew, and now it's a, it is literally a worldwide, um, has, it has ministries that have worldwide um, extensions, just all over the place. The Grace Academy International, where they train pastors, and many, and many academies set up all over the world. And that's all started from one church in Van Nuys. Just amazing. But here we'll look at this one. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. So that's Romans 16, 5. So they met in houses, that, you know, which we would do here if we didn't have a building, right? If you guys may, you know, you have a building. You may be going to have a building, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll see. So they met in houses. And on what day of the week? The first day. On the first day of the week, right? Acts 27 says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart, the next day spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. But we went through Acts in uh, a big grace. John MacArthur said, See that? You guys, tell me I'm going too long. Paul went until midnight. But we have a time timeline here. We're an hour, right? About an hour or so. That seems to be what the limit is. So, okay. Uh, what four way? What four things then did the early church do? What were they devoted to? Jim, could you read that? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. All right. When you look at that, is that what this church does? Mm -hmm. Continuation, right? Continuation. So we teach doctrine. Every Sunday, right? Expository preaching. And we have fellowship. We have communion once a month. And we pray as a body. Essentially repeating the same thing that they did back then. So breaking of bread in those cases is communion. Yeah, it's it not is. a meal. Well, I think they were doing probably both. Yeah. They were breaking bread. Whenever you do this, do this in memory of me. But they were having a meal. What was the last supper? It was a meal, right? They had a meal, and then at the end of the meal, Christ took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said to them, take this and eat it. This is my body given up for you, right? So they would actually come together and have a meal, and then the breaking of bread would be part of that, and that would be 
just like we do in communion, except they didn't, that tiny one broke a big piece. Yeah. So back into the original church, didn't they like, they kind of joined all their material things together. So it would have been literal breaking their, their meal as well as. Right. Yeah, and so this is a good point. Good point. What happened at that time? Do you remember? So you had um, on the day of Pentecost, right? You have all these people from various parts of the country coming into Jerusalem and uh, at the temple. And then Peter then gives the sermon, uh, and over 3,000 people are saved and they join the church. Many of those did not go back where they came from. So they stayed in, uh, in Jerusalem together as one big church. And so because these people had nothing, then those that did have things shared with those who didn't, right? And that's when you, uh, I think it's in, uh, I want to say uh, Acts 5, is it? When um, you have uh, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira, right? Who sold a piece of property and brought the money and gave it to the, the um, lady at the, uh, the disciples' feet. But they lied. They said they gave it all when they didn't. And they didn't have to lie. There was no reason. If they didn't want to give all the money, they didn't have to. But nonetheless, they lied. And that's where in that verse, uh, initially Peter says that, you, you know, you've lied to, um, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then at the bottom, uh, maybe another verse there, he says, you lied to God. And that's where we, we say, well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's also calling the Holy Spirit God. But that was during that, that time frame when the church was new and they were all... They would come together, and so they would have a meal, they would eat together, and they would break bread together. So then, uh, in the early church, devoted to teaching, Sheila, could you read that? First Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babies long for the true milk of the word, so that, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Right. So, here, I mean, they're, they're longing for the word. They want to hear it, right? Just like we do, I would say. What's the difference between then and now, between the believers? So when you're in that church, what did you have access to? You know, you're the, the apostles. You have the apostles. Who else can teach you? Where are you going to get God's word? It's not like they had, uh, you know, a library. You go down and check out the scrolls. They didn't have the Bible available. There was no printing press until the 1500s, right? Gutenberg. So everything that was written had to be written by hand. That's what the scribes did. So they would write out on the on scrolls uh, or flat pieces, parchments. And so the only way they could actually hear God's word was to come and get it directly from the teaching of the apostles. We are so blessed compared, right? You have access to just, you know, Bibles, commentaries, preachers, YouTubes of everything. I mean, there's no, no lacking of opportunity to uh, to hear God's word preached, right? Uh, so they were devoted to teaching and then God gave the church gifted pastors, teachers, right? So, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, of these, this one here is mostly sometimes um, misunderstood prophets. So what does a prophet do? 
what does a prophet do? You know, Old Testament prophets, they, what did they do mostly? We would think of them. They would give you a pre, a future, right? So they would foretell. But that it could be, uh, it could be uh, translated tell forth. Yeah, so you could foretell the future. That's one way, or, or foretelling a, a biblical event, I would say. But um, the other way is to tell forth. So they could tell forth. They speak the truth of Scripture. So, and then you have the, the uh, apostles are, are called the foundation of the church, right? Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so the apostles, interesting about them, they were with Jesus, right? That was one of their requirements to be an apostle. So they had to be a firsthand eyewitness of Jesus. Um, and then they were with him for three to three and a half years, getting a PhD in theology, right? And then when he's going to leave, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another helper. And he says that, and he, the helper, will bring to your remembrance everything that I've told you. So then the apostles are the ones who can then write down everything that Jesus told them, which is literally all Old Testament scriptures that have to do with him and some, some prophecy, some future events. They write it all down, and that's how we get the Bible, as they are enabled by the Holy Spirit. Right? And then the prophets, there's the one who will... Speak the word to the people. Evangelists take it to the neighborhoods and spread it. And then the pastors and teachers are, or that's, that's almost a redundancy, pastors and teachers, right? So a pastor would be elder and teachers. So a teacher could be a non-pastor, but a pastor has to be a teacher. So do you take that as a pastor-teacher as some do, or pastors and teachers like they're separate? Okay, so this is a great question because it, one of the, one of the requirements, I don't say requirements, but is a pastor an elder? Yes, should be. Pastor has to be an elder, right? Elders, so the, the term in the church, so we have a, here we have a, a, a teaching elder. We call him a teaching elder, title pastor. And so a pastor then is an elder. An elder must be able to teach. So the pastor, you know, the pastor slash teacher uh, mm-hmm. is probably a pretty accurate description there because however not always the main teaching pastor that's that would be a difference right you typically have a main teaching pastor this is a person who's gifted and and does this can do this week in and week out other people are also gifted to teach but they do it on a fill-in basis if they had to but they would probably be able to step up and do it on a on a full-time basis but um the pastor, teacher, <clears throat> primarily your main teaching elder. But other people can teach, right? Mm-hmm. Pastors and teachers. So you have Sunday school teachers, you have you know, high school teachers, you have all kinds of teachers that teach the word. Those are all gifts from God. All for the edifying of the church. So elders then. So uh, Paul says then, when they had appointed elders... No, it isn't Paul. But when, uh, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed and fasted, they commended them to the Lord whom they believed. So they appointed elders in all the churches, right? Paul, Paul had told them to Timothy and uh, Titus, right? Appoint elders. And then elders are to rule, right? So the elders who rule well 
are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. There's that word again, preaching and teaching. And then, uh, okay, so here's the qualifications. So let's, let's go, this is a big one. Uh, so 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay, this is kind of a lot of requirements, um, but a person who is a believer, these are not, not really difficult, right? because you put off, as when you become a believer, you put off a lot of, a lot of the, the things that they're telling you not to be, right? And you say, well, wait, that's old man, new man, puts on Christ, right? Now, there's a lot of churches that, about the husband of one wife. They mm -hmm. say, if you've been divorced and married, you can't be a mm -hmm. or a bishop or whatever. Right. Yeah, they'll say that. Um, is that biblical? Is that biblical? Right. So Paul, when he goes through uh, in uh, in both First uh, Corinthians and also in Romans specifically addresses the situation of marriage and remarriage. So an elder, let's say, uh, the elder had an unbelieving wife who left. And then he remarried, and he, but he married in the Lord. Would that disqualify him? I would say a lot of churches would say, no, it does not. Because the elder then is still married. And this is more, um, more pointing to the husband of one wife as in not polygamy. right? So one wife and one wife alone. Because as even in the Middle East today, they still have polygamy going on. Not with Israel, but with the Muslims. You know, they can have up to four wives. Okay, so you saw that. Let's look at what he says in Titus or what the difference is. So here's a, here's a new one. As a steward of God, not self-willed, a lover of what is good, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. So when you combine what was in Timothy and what here is in Titus, you get this complete uh, requirement for what elders are. Now, and then we'll look a little bit further here. Uh, what are the two major responsibilities? Shepherd the flock, serving as overseers. And so with that, what comes with that then? Shepherding the flock. What does that even mean? What does a shepherd do? Making sure they get fed and defend them. Fed, right? You lead them into pastures where there's grain. What if, because here's the thing, what do sheep do? You know, this is an agrarian society. They understand all this. We don't know, but what do sheep do? If you leave them in one place too long, what do they do? Starve. They'll starve. Why? Because they eat everything. They eat all the way down to the roots. The grass doesn't come back. So a good shepherd allows them to mow the grass down and then moves them on to other grassy areas where they continue to feed. And so you talk about shepherding the flock then. The pastor 
or, or the elders, what they do is they make sure that the <clears throat> sheep are being fed. Fed what? Fed God's word. And then serving as overseers, so they have a responsibility of making decisions for the church. Make sure that the church is, is doing the right things, moving in the right direction. If you need a building, you got to get a building. If you, know, if, you need, if you need to move the flock somewhere else, then you move the whole flock somewhere else. But that's, their, that's the main functions of the elders then. So. Okay, what's the responsibility of believers towards the elders? Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, right? Hebrews 13, 17. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So how many of you are ever supervisors? Anybody supervisors in your job, Jim? I, I mean, how much of it is a pain when you have a subordinate who is always just contrary to all the rules? I had to do that. I'm just being able to fire them at will. <laughs> See? So he has that he has the power that you know that the threat. Yeah. I never thought to have people work under you, and if they don't, then right. They bring the whole team down. I mean, yeah. Just right. It's just hard. It's really really hard to be in a position of authority and have people who are not helpful, not submitting. You know, and I get it. You don't want somebody to be what's that called? Like a uh, I would just had it. It was like blind submission. What's the other word for that? Idiot. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the southern term for that. But anyway, anyway. But you know, you don't want to. Uh, it's it's almost called like malicious compliance. You know, if you see something wrong and some, you know, you don't want to do that. You want to be a team player and say, "Hey, boss, uh, you might not have known about this, so let me bring it to your attention. If we do that, we're gonna you know, the place is gonna just fall apart." You know, you don't want to be maliciously compliant, but serve underneath the elder or your supervisor or whatever to make their job easier because it's not easy. No, the nonprofit side is what I did with the booster club and it's hundreds of thousands of dollars and hundreds of people. Um, but we would call the parking lot committees were the worst thing you could do because mm. they, they could just destroy a group yeah. in a parking <laughs> with their yakking and you know, undermining. Yakking, complaining, undermining, always pointing out things that are wrong, this and that. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have to be so careful that we do choose the right church that the elders are biblically sound and are truly following? Mm -hmm. Their egos don't get in the way. Right. They truly submit to the authority of Scripture. It's uh, key. key. In fact, uh, you, I think you weren't here when Jim talked about coming to this church, right? You, one of his, one of the things he did, he wanted to know the elders. Yeah. Want to know that they're biblically sound, and, and so yeah, that's a that's that's a. It's not on my. It wouldn't be on my uh, normal checklist but it's going to go on there <laughs> so that's, a good, that's a very good point because that's indicative of what kind of church you have is what kind of elders you have that, that's one of the first one of the probably one of the best indicators so okay then deacons here I said the word deacon means servant uh, deacons are to minister to the needs of the flock under the direction of the elders the qualifications of deacons are in 1 Timothy 3 8 through 13, right? So likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, uh, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons without uh, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, 
temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling the children and their own houses well. Uh, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the one thing that's not listed here is um, different from an elder is that the elder is to teach. Right? But there's no, no qualifications here that says that the deacon must be able to teach. So deacons are servers. It doesn't mean that deacon can't teach, but it's not a requirement to be a deacon. And I just want one other thing to bring up. Notice this thing here says, not given too much wine. So I think that just kind of sparked me for a minute. <laughs> um, what does it say here? Uh, I think it's not here. It's in Timothy where it says uh, not given to wine versus the wording in the deacon says not given to much wine. Right? So I don't know how, how some churches look at that. that some of them will say that it's okay for uh, elders to, you know, to drink wine on occasion. Um, others, like I know at Big Grace, the elder board, they just take a bow. There's no alcohol at all. So. But uh, anyway, I just bring that to your attention. You can think about that any way you want. Yeah. Was I here? No. I was here. Okay. So then, members of the body. What does Hebrew ten twenty five warn? This is our memory verse. Not to neglect the assembling together with one another as is custom to some but as we see the day approaching even more so of course that's another thing is that how do you exhort one another if you never meet how do you serve one another if you never meet texting <laughs> I exhort you brother you know with my phone text call, phone call. calls yeah well, right yeah when I mean that's each other up and, and talk that way yeah. The other area that I struck when I came here, my daughter laughed me about this. This is the first year that we've been as elder led, and also very accountable to you. And so when I can do an LBI, they sort of want me to talk about my sins and all this kind of stuff. And I wasn't real comfortable sharing my heart things, you know, because where I came from, you didn't. You didn't go around sharing your hurts and your. That's something you kept to yourself, and so mm. they required that of me an LBI. I struggled with that. What you're asking me what? To tell yeah. you about my sin? Yeah. And it was just very humbling to me to realize it. And that's how we help each other. You know, I've gone to love Kath in that respect and we didn't apart together at first. But just be able to share our weaknesses and our you know, we can cry together, we can rejoice together. And I missed that for so many years because I didn't like people to get too close. I still somewhat I don't know, they have to get to know you really well before you know a lot about me. Then you know everything. <laughs> but but that was an area for me I struggled was, you know, getting close to a body and letting them exhort me as well as encourage me. That was relatively new for me coming to grace. Yeah. So, but isn't that one of the four things we looked at uh, in terms of a church? One of the things they do is pray. Now, what does that mean, pray? Does that mean just the pastor prays? Or do we pray for one another, right? And in, yeah. and in James, for instance, it talks about 
um, confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another that you may be healed. Now, in that general context, there was the, it's a reference to sin <coughs> in the believers causing illnesses and sometimes even death. And so that's why it says to go to your elders and let them anoint you with oil and pray for you, confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another that you may be healed. So, but the general, the general context there is that, yeah, we, we confess to one another and we ask for prayers. Hey, I'm struggling in this area. Can you pray for me? Give me, pray that God would give me the strength to overcome. You know? Or you can, you can pray for a lot of things. You can pray for healing. You can pray for wisdom. You can pray for um, you know, other help that you need, financial help. You can, pray for, you can pray for a lot of things. And others praying for you um, is also good. And that's why we, we confess our sins to one another. There's our struggles because you know, that's, 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 like an ener- that's like an energy resource to you, you know, is to have people praying for you. God would grant you these things. So, yeah. So, uh, as about our believers, how we respond to those who are teachers, we said to obey. Um, and then, wait, maybe I didn't say that one. Oh, here it is. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. And so, right to Jim's point about wanting to know the elders. If, if, it says here to imitate their faith. What do you want to know about your elders? Do they have faith? Yeah, yeah, you want to not only have faith, but they want to, you want to make sure they have strong faith because if you're going to be el- uh, 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 told to imitate their faith, well, you want to make sure the elders are uh, people who you should be imitating, right? Okay. So then, uh, how should those who are appointed preach and teach be supported? Well, they live from the gospel, right? That's their job, literally, is to preach. And so they're, they are supported by, uh, by the, the gifts of the congregation. And then also, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Right? So that's, that's the believers within the body then. Providing for the sustenance of those who provide do the teaching. But notice Paul. Remember in in, uh, in Corinthians that, that Chris is going over. Paul never accepted any funds from the churches that he preached at. No funds for himself. He accepted gifts on behalf of other churches. But Paul didn't. He also worked with his own hands, right? He was a tent maker by trade. So. Okay, fellowship. The Bible uses the word koinonia to describe fellowship within the body. That word means participation with others in a common purpose. The Latin equivalent is communion, pointing to the communion that is shared with other believers as well as with God. So what is the desire for every local church? Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so this is what we're talking about, that there, no be, there be no division, right? No schism within the church. A lot of times you have, you have schism, you have a church split, and it's an unbiblical church split. Why? Because... There is no reason why a, a whole group of believers from a body should leave that body 
over a division. Now, it's one thing to leave that body to go do a church plant. That's not a division in terms of, um, in terms of beliefs or philosophies or anything else. That's part of the process of the church. But to leave because all of a sudden, let's say this, where I was, went to a church, uh, pastor left, pastor had been there 25 years, and there had been an assistant pastor there for many, many years as well. And so when it came time to get a new pastor, many people in the church said, well, we want the assistant pastor to become the new pastor. Whereas the elders, they did a uh, candidating, right? So they brought in, they brought in pastors and they, and they interviewed them and they had them preach. And then the elders decided who they wanted to pick. And then, so they put this person's name out to the body and more than 50% said, yeah, we want him. Well, the people who didn't want him, they left. They left with the, where the uh, assistant pastor went to, the church that he went to. And that, that's just an unbiblical thing to do. You know, just because the guy you wanted, your favorite guy, didn't get it, doesn't give you or shouldn't. You, you shouldn't leave the church because of it. That's why you have elders who are um, who are understanding scripture. They themselves hold to God's word. They are um, men who are in prayer. They are you know, men uh, who have been taught and trained in this specific way. And they're going to be making biblical decisions. So they pray about who to select and that together they come to a decision. So that means that God is working through these men to select the pastor. If, if, the, if the elders are actual elders that meet the qualifications, right? you can't expect a non-qualified elder to be making godly decisions. I mean, that would be a stretch. There's a whole purpose behind the qualifications. So if those men then pick the pastor and the majority of the members agree, yes, we want this pastor, then the rest of the body should then come alongside and agree and not pick up their ball and go home, which is what happens so often. But that's what a schism is, right? You split over, over something, so. So that's why we're, we're called to speak the same message, no divisions, quarrels, perfectly joined, united together in the same mind and judgment. So then, what will promote unity? Well, let's look at verse two here. Uh, endeavoring, so with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So what keeps it here? All lowliness and gentleness with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Let's just say, well, I like the assistant pastor and everybody else or a majority voted for this new guy. So then here it is. This is what I need to do with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. So that was the choice they made. I'm staying because this is the commandment, not a suggestion. And for the purpose of Endeavoring to keep the unity. So we don't always all agree on everything, but if, if this is where God is moving this church, this is where I should go with the church. Yeah, so our, our responsibility is to keep the unity. 
And then be humble, right? Philippians. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So then, we're exhorted to esteem others better than ourselves, right? Which means, if we're on the, on the minority vote, well, then we should then go with what the majority has done, right? Just esteem them higher than ourselves. Okay, so then, here's a question. Can fellowship be enjoyed with non-believers? Can fellowship be enjoyed with non-believers? Not Christian fellowship. Yeah, exactly. Not Christian fellowship. And that's the key there, right? Is because, you know, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So the question is really, it's not. You can't have the same kind of love that you have with believers with unbelievers, right? Um, I'm going to hurry up through this. So what's the ministering to one another's? Love one another. But concerning brotherly love, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That's within the body. Have patience towards one another, Romans 5, 15, 5. Comfort one another, 2 Corinthians 1, 4. Encourage and build up one another, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. And have fellowship with one another, 1 John 1, 7. So the fellowship within the body of Christ involves sharing in each other's life, Sheila. Did you hear that? <laughs> no. Below are some areas in which Christians should minister to one another. So... Um, Pursuing the things that make for peace and mutual edification. That's Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And then serving one another. Galatians 5, 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is a commandment, not a suggestion. So, we bear one another's burdens. We pray for one another. And then what, God, what has God given to each Christian to help him or her minister to each other? So, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, every man has received the gift. Even so, minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, right? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. So then, we're all given gifts. We are all called to administer those or minister those to one another in the church. So, worship then. Worship belongs to God alone, right? Because God is jealous. Exodus 20, 4 through 5 says this, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or likeness of anything that is in heaven or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyselves to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. 
and then God is worthy to receive because he's greater than all things. Revelation 4, 10 through 11 says, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. So that's why we worship God, right? That's, that's why we worship. And then God wants our true worship. This means that we must not worship, that we must be worshiping in truth and spirit from the heart. Matthew 15, 8 through 9, and then worship God in truth, John. But an hour is coming, John 4, 23 to 24, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must <coughs> worship in spirit and truth. This is a great verse. Can anybody else worship God except those who are believers in God? What about those people who say, well, we all worship the same God? They're wrong. They're wrong. They don't worship the same God because if they worship the same God, then they would do it the way God prescribes, which is in spirit and truth, which means where is truth? Where is all the truth of God held? It's in his Bible, right? And so therefore, if they don't believe his word, they're not worshiping in truth. And which also means they don't believe it. They don't have the spirit in them. Okay. So quickly, uh, we talked about the Lord's table, right? Christ's body and Christ's blood. Here's one good verse, though, um, that we need to be aware of. Uh, that we not... Anyone who eats or drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. So when a person is eating or drinking in an unworthy manner, meaning they have unconfessed sin in their life, then in the, in the Corinthians church, some people were sick and even died because of it. So God is serious about the, the Lord's Supper. And so when people eat it and drink it in an unworthy manner, they are literally um, could be calling judgment onto themselves. So, application. Are you a member of the body? Whoops, ooh, that went fast. Are you a member of the body? Are you a member of a local assembly? Have you learned from this study to improve your worship of God? That's really what the drive is. Okay, so what we covered. The church universal, the church, the local church, fellowship, worship, and application. Any questions? I know the question. You said, where is the quiz for chapter 10? That's what you had in mind. Wasn't that it? Carol, I know that was it in your mind, Sheila. She's like, I'm going to drive Yeah, you said, whoa. I'm looking at my watch. I'm going to make it. We're going to bury me. Let me get it. Oh, it fell. I don't need mine. Yeah. This is an easy one. So, yeah, we just barely made it. Sorry, I had to rush through that. Anyway, today yes. is, I don't know, is it a seven? Seven. Seven. That's what you got on your paper right here. Uh, oh, that was printed last oh, night. Eight. So this is the eight. <laughs> this is the eight. Oh, all right, let me just pray for us quickly because yeah. I know Jim's got to run. But Father God, thank you for uh, the time today. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. It's clear um, regarding the church and our um, elders and deacons and the responsibility of the believers within the church to serve 
um, to worship, to pray together, and we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for our local church here, how you have set it up and brought many believers for that purpose. And we just pray for your blessing on the rest of our day and this week, and it's in Jesus' name we ask, in, in him, amen.